0: Good morning, Uh, as Jonathan mentioned, we have been friends with the Zimons for a long time and uh, Michael is also a friend, congratulations to you and Sarah, and we have been with you all many times, but I've never taught here, so I very much appreciate the invitation and it is really good to be with you this morning. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning, so... If you have your Bibles, um, we're going to start in verse 1. Let's start by reading God's Word, and then we will pray. So 2 Timothy, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened, By the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Sharon's suffering is a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's begin by asking God for help um, as we try to understand his word. Father, we thank you again for your word. This is... Um, The words of life that you have given us, Lord. We pray that your Spirit would be at work helping us to see, helping us to hear. Father, I pray that you truly will strengthen each of us this morning in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus. And help us, Lord, uh, to walk as disciples and as disciples who make disciples, Lord. So Father, we pray for your help, because we know that we do not have the strength to do this on our own. So please help us, Lord, be with us um, as we look at this passage. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, Pastor Michael and I chose this text because it's, it's a significant and invaluable passage on discipleship, but I also think it's a little bit unusual, because Second Timothy is often thought about as a book for church leaders. And though Timothy is a church leader, each of the pastoral epistles, uh, one and two Timothy and Titus, each of them, is relevant for all Christians. Just as it's relevant for pastors, you don't have to be an apostle, you don't have to be Timothy for it to be relevant, we know this, but um, it is to pastors, but it really, we will see it's relevant for all Christians, and I think it's a very timely passage on discipleship. Now, 1 Timothy was written to the churches in Ephesus, they were a favorite community of Christians who were in danger, and... We were told in Acts 19 that unlike Philippi and Thessalonica, Paul was actually able to stay in Ephesus, and he stayed with them and ministered for about three years. And his time in Ephesus was likely his most fruitful ministry. Acts 19 tells about the repentance and and fruit that Paul saw where in public they were praising uh, the name of the Lord Jesus in the city And even sorcerers and magicians, remember, they got rid of their books. They they burned, they got rid of all of their books. And so Ephesus, what God had done there was truly a work of the Spirit. And Ephesus had become a hub for missions throughout Asia Minor, where Paul went from Ephesus to establish churches in other areas of Asia Minor, which is uh, basically eastern Turkey today. And so uh, Paul is establishing churches, and we see in first Timothy one three that Paul had said to Timothy, he said, uh, I urge you, as I'm going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So Paul he had planted and he had watered and he had even seen fruit. But 1 Timothy shows that in just a matter of a few years, things had gone wrong. False teachers had come into the church and already many have wandered away from the truth. They have turned away from the gospel. And with that, it's not surprising, but with that there is division. And Paul is extremely concerned for this favorite group of Christians that he knows so well. And so he writes First Timothy to a group of Christians because he is concerned. To Timothy, on the other hand, was written not to a favorite church, but to a favorite co-worker in the gospel. It's likely at least four years later, maybe more. And by this time, Timothy has been pastoring For a while in the church in Ephesus. He's been without Paul's presence for a while as well. And Paul believes that both the Christians in Ephesus and his co worker in the gospel are in danger of slipping away from wonderful beginnings. And so these letters go hand in hand. Their concerns are parallel. But again, the circumstances have changed some in between the two letters. Paul's third missionary journey in Acts chapter 20 is the reason uh, for 1 Timothy. He's instructing Timothy in how to manage the church in Ephesus while he's away. But 2 Timothy is written by Paul from a damp and dark prison cell in Rome. We actually see that in just a couple verses before our passage at the end of uh, 2 Timothy 1. So 2 Timothy is written, we see later in the book, it is written very shortly before Paul's execution. And it's likely that Paul was caught up in the persecution that the Roman Emperor Nero started against Christians when he was, he was looking for scapegoats after the great fire of Rome in 64 AD and it's in this context that Paul writes Timothy and he says you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and so the first thing to notice about this passage is that this is a passage about strengthening and we'll See that in a few verses where it talks about a soldier and an athlete and a farmer. These are all about strength, pictures of strength. So, I mean, it also, I think it stands out. Timothy is commanded to be strengthened. Isn't that odd? Be strengthened. And be strengthened, how? By the grace of That is in Christ Jesus. And you can see that this grace is spoken of throughout this passage. And what is this grace? Well, I think it's the same thing that is talked about in verse 2. What what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. the, The faith that Timothy grew up with from his youth. That he was taught by his grandmother, and mother what paul has talked about already in this book is the testimony of our lord or the gospel the pattern of sound words the good deposit that is what this grace is paul stresses in chapter 1 that this gospel of jesus christ is what saves and transforms Sinners, It's the power of God for salvation. And it's this grace of Jesus Christ that strengthens Christians as well. Paul has commanded Timothy to not abandon the gospel like all of those who abandoned him at the end of chapter 1. But in one fourteen, to press on, And guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And so we we see it in chapter 1 that Paul says all of Asia. He's basically everybody. Everybody has abandoned and walked away from him. But also they are abandoning the gospel. And so Timothy is to guard the gospel. And he's to do this first by being strengthened by... Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done. And then second, he is to guard the gospel by entrusting this message to faithful men who will then be able to teach others. That is how Paul is telling him to guard the gospel. And here we see that this is how the church grows regularly. Yes, you, you have times like in Acts where 3,000 people believe in a day when they just hear a sermon, but that is unusual growth. Normal growth in the Christian life, normal growth. Maybe you've experienced it as a church. Maybe, I imagine as a Christian, you know that growth is often very slow, and it's often one step forward, one step back. Three steps forward, one step back. Um, it's like compound interest the way growth is in the Christian life. It is very slow, and yet at the same time, powerful and, and explosive. And here, in this passage, you have five, not, not generations, but um, maybe steps, where Jesus had entrusted the gospel to Paul, Paul entrusted it to Timothy. Timothy is to entrust this message to faithful men, and they are to teach others. So you have Jesus, Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and others. And so the gospel is something to be given to others. It is not, you don't guard the gospel by locking it up and by hiding it. Even even when you're being persecuted, you don't guard the gospel by locking it up and hiding it. The gospel is guarded by passing it on through intentional discipleship, very slow discipleship. Parents slowly discipling children, um, one example. In, in college, I was discipled by a, a man named Robert Coleman. He wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And it was, it was basically, um, he was showing the type of, of people um, that Christ called, but then his method. And his method was investing in a few. And from investing in a few people, that is how you see just incredible explosive growth. And so that actually is Jesus' method, is really focusing on in discipling a few Now, I just want to make a comment about entrusting um, this message to faithful men who will then pass it on. They will teach others. And what about women in this chain uh, is a thought that occurs. And, And Paul addresses this sort of thing In Titus, where he tells Titus, who is a little bit like Timothy, he says, but as for you, in Titus 2, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Okay, Teach this gospel that I have handed to you, and teach life and doctrine according with this gospel. And then he says, older women are to train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, Kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. And so it is the role of the pastor, a young man, to train the whole church. And so that is where even older women, they are the ones. It's faithful men who are to equip the whole church with the gospel. And then out of the gospel, everybody in the church Whether it's older men in Titus 2, older women, or even children. It is the whole church that works together because of the the preaching and the equipping by church leaders. Um, Verse 3, Paul tells Timothy, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul had written... In chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, he had said, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Again, the grace of Jesus Christ, the power of God. Some take... These statements in chapter 1, verse 7 about God gave us not a spirit of fear, some some take these statements and they attribute timidity to Timothy. You very well may have heard this in the past, that Timothy was particularly fearful. Um, And I think it's largely because of of what Paul says in chapter 1, but also Timothy had tummy aches, right? So... But I, I don't think this view is very helpful to us at all. Because if Timothy is overwhelmed by timidity, then these words to us really, unless you're overwhelmed by anxiety and timidity, these words do not help us. And I don't think that is actually the case at all. Um, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Those words, those words, I mean, if if those words do not make all of us a little bit timid feeling or anxious, I mean, Paul is concerned for Timothy that he will not finish his race. It's true, but it is not because Timothy Is a coward. I think he is less cowardly than probably any of us. Um, It's not because he's a coward, it is because of the nature of gospel ministry. If if you know your Bible, suffering is baked in to biblical ministry, it is baked in to gospel ministry. And that's clear in, in 1 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and 2, Jesus also makes it clear that this is normal ministry. And so, if this is normal ministry, this is a normal reaction. With the image of a soldier in here, when the bullets are flying, who is not afraid? This is normal. And what you see in Ephesus, what you see in the book of Acts is that in the book of Acts, there are, it rotates from one to the other. There are attacks from the outside, and then attacks from the inside. Attacks from outside the church. Attacks from inside the church. And so, this is normal ministry. And it is, it is difficult. The message of a suffering king according to the scriptures, comes from the mouths of suffering messengers. You cannot preach and guard the gospel without suffering. And so Timothy was not particularly fearful or timid. Paul had actually sent Timothy to places like Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica. You don't send somebody who is weak to those churches if you know anything About a church like Corinth. Um, Paul sent Timothy to lead in the most difficult situation. So that should get us our attention when Paul is telling Timothy, don't. You know, God gave us not a spirit of fear. Um, It's just that there are tremendous strains and stresses in Christian leadership that are just normal. Christian ministry in the best of times. In the best of times. But Timothy is facing very difficult times. And so Timothy is perfectly normal. If anything, Timothy is not a coward. Um, But this isn't just true of apostles or pastors. The next chapter makes it clear that this sort of life, it's, it's just—it's true of normal Christians. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, I'm sure that you probably even know this passage. But indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This, this emphasis runs throughout the whole New Testament as a decision for all of us. Many, many according to Jesus, according to the apostles, many start well in the Christian life. Why should you fail to finish your marathon before you reach the flag? Why should I, why should we fail to continue growing in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity I was working on a project a few years back with a New Testament professor who's a scholar in the Gospel of John. And I told him, I'm really thankful for your work in John. I'm really looking forward to this project we're working on. And I told him about my nephew who had become a Christian and was telling everybody about Jesus his high school teachers and classmates, his college at a secular college, all of his friends, his tennis teammates, he was telling them all about Jesus. And this, this New Testament professor looked at me, and he said he started very well. Pray that he finishes well. And I don't know if you hear it the same way as me, but I heard that to myself as well. Now I pray for my nephew because God is bearing unbelievable fruit, a little bit like Ephesus. God has given him incredible fruit, but pray that he will finish well. These are words for me as well. Uh, In verses 3 through 7, we're given three examples of strength for the Christian life. And I Think they are examples of strength, but also of suffering in different ways. And each of these has an exhortation and a promise. So verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So soldiers suffer. Suffer. And I I am sure in this room we have some soldiers. Okay, I I know that. And I would love to hear stories of your suffering. I would love to hear, because I know that you would be able to illustrate it so well. Um, I was with, on Wednesday I had lunch with a friend who was a Vietnam vet. And he's still suffering as a soldier, because he has cancer from Agent Orange. Um, But the thing in, in... Spending time with Marty this week um, that stood out in, in, in regard to this, but Marty is not surprised by hardship in life. And so I, I think that's part of, I mean, suffer as a soldier. I, I wonder if Marty's experience as a soldier did not in some ways, I mean, it can, it can lead the wrong way, suffering can. But if you learn as a Christian to suffer as a soldier, to not be surprised that the battle entails suffering. Um, I think I see that in Marty in a way that I want to learn. Uh, He's a very godly person. Um, And so the exhortation, suffer as a soldier. And then the promise. The promise is the promise of pleasing the one who enlisted him. John Piper, he says, you know, we are used to hearing about, uh, you know, pictures of like a, a father and a child pleasing, a child pleasing a father, a father delighting in a child. But not many of us think of our relationship with God as a soldier and the one who enlisted him. But we are to want to get the well done as soldiers, as ones who have fought the battle. That the picture of father and child, I mean a child is not fighting the battle like a soldier is. This is a war. And we are to desire the well done of a soldier. We are to expect to suffer, not as a child, but as a soldier. Verse 5, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to, to the rules, and so an athlete. And as I thought about this, I think that, you know, if you're an athlete, you've thought about it. An athlete, it, it definitely includes suffering, a different kind of suffering than a soldier, right? Um, but I also think that this seems a little bit confusing today um, because not everybody gets a medal, There are no participation trophies in heaven. And I say that jokingly, but it's deathly serious in this passage, isn't it? I mean, our culture is not helping us understand this picture. I mean, even many in the church would want to say, um, everybody gets a crown, everybody gets a medal. That's not the tone that we hear in this passage There are no participation trophies in heaven. The Christian life, if we are hearing what this says, it takes effort. It involves pain. Now, it is completely empowered by grace. That, again, it is completely empowered by grace. But we need to strive to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we need to compete according to the rules. Another strange one, I don't know if you saw in the last few weeks, but um, a very large bearded weightlifter just completely smashed the women's pro weightlifting record in the last two weeks. Um, when we think about rules in sports, and just recently I've, I've heard about how with the Olympics now people who are not disabled are pretending to be disabled so that they can... Get the crown, I guess. Um, Imagine your favorite sports without rules. And if, if you're not an athlete, okay, your favorite game without rules. I mean, breaking the rules does not work in sports. It ruins everything. And it's the same for the Christian life where the rules of growing in conduct and love and faith and purity rather than sexual immorality and the evils like the false teachers and those abandoning Christ in Ephesus. And in our culture, um, it's the one that competes according to the rules that wins the crown. I've, it, it's been good to think about these things this week. And the farmer, verse 6, it's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the, sh- the first share of the crops. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure also that some of you grew up on farms. I grew up about five minutes from uh, farms. But I don't really know a whole lot about farming. But I know farming is hard. Don't, we all know it. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know farming is hard. Um, I don't think you have to be a farmer either. But I, I, I did watch a show recently, just a couple episodes of a show called Clarkson's Farm. I don't know if any of you have seen any of it, but it's basically a guy who's not a farmer taking on a large farm. And the whole point is farming is hard, okay? Farming is hard. He's not, he's not good at farming. And, and if he didn't get a lot of help and have amazing equipment, he, I mean, nothing would grow. And I, I also Googled, is farming hard? <laughs> and, and I found a Cosmopolitan article that confirmed farming is hard. <laughs> it said on, on smaller farms, there are zero days off. Okay? Some years you might make zero dollars. You need to be good, uh, good at physical labor, critical thinking, and running a business. And then it goes into just the daily routines. And it, it's just, I think we know the daily routine. It is very, very hard. It doesn't take a farmer or a rock and scientist to no, know farming is hard work, and pastoring is hard work. It is extremely hard work what pastors do if they're good pastors. It is extremely hard work. Um, but it's also hard work to grow in grace, to continue growing in purity as a Christian. Raising Christian kids It takes strength far beyond our own resources. And so we need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says in verse seven, and I, I'm going to go over this verse very quickly, but he says, "Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And so, I think particularly, he's talking about being strengthened. He gives these pictures of these three people. And it's been very helpful to me. I plan on going and thinking over this because I need this personally. Think over what I say. Why? Because if you do, if we walk out... And don't forget it immediately. If we actually think about it, God has promised he will give us understanding. I believe that he will give us the grace that is in Christ Jesus to actually do what he's commanding. So think over um, what I say. And then verses 8 through 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, As preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us, if we are faithful Faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So, we are told in these verses, it, it talks about remembering Christ and enduring hardship as Christians. And in these verses, it's almost as if Paul is once again returning to strengthen Timothy with the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's, he's reminding him again of of what he has heard in the presence of many witnesses. He's reminding Timothy that suffering is normal in ministry, but also as a Christian, it's normal. It's to be expected. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. For the... Apostolic gospel is about Jesus Christ, verse 8, who was crucified and was risen from the dead, the offspring of David, David the king who was constantly pursued by enemies. And because, Paul says, because he preaches this gospel, he says, I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. And Later in the book, we, we are given a clearer picture. This is, very, this, this is the last book Paul wrote very close to the end of his life, and he says in chapter 4, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. There it is. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all, to all who love His appearing. And so Paul is in chains. He is near death. He is near death. And he has remained faithful in the midst of suffering. And he is laying out the path for Timothy to follow. Timothy, I have finished the race. Will you finish? Will you be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Will you be strengthened to keep going? Uh, in the course of the long and difficult road ahead. It is coming, Timothy. Are you preparing? Are you being strengthened by Jesus Christ? Are you prepared to receive the well-done, good and faithful servant? Are you continuing on? And then, Paul says something that I love. He says, but the word of God is not bound. I love this. Because while Paul is in chains, the Word of God is not bound. There's a New Testament professor, David Powell, I read a book of his, and never forget, he said in Acts, the protagonist in Acts is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Because as the apostles are killed, as they are bound and chained... It is the Word of God that continues taking over the world, that continues going on. And so the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, they are the protagonist in Acts. The Word of God is not bound. In verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul has already said to Timothy, he has said, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, the perseverance of of pastors, the perseverance of leaders, the perseverance of parents, the perseverance of Christians, In suffering, it actually saves others, it contributes, it is part of the salvation when Christians stand, when leaders stand, and encourage others when they feel weak, when they are wavering. Paul says in chapter 4, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accomplish for themselves or accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. And you do not have to look very far to understand that there are church leaders today that are not holding to the gospel for the repentance of sins that is preached. There's pressure. There's pressure already in our culture not to preach this gospel, this apostolic gospel. And there are people clamoring to follow these impressive leaders. We actually see in in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul talks about some of these leaders. They, they They appear to be very successful. Their ministry is making progress very quickly. There are huge numbers. Versus Paul and Timothy's weak-looking ministry. Slow, one-on-one. I mean, Paul and Timothy know the names of their sheep. This is not a a megachurch where the pastors don't even know the names of their sheep. This is ministry of a completely different nature than those that they talk about in chapter 3. And if we are tempted to go that route with the crowds, as persecution increases, abandoning the biblical gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins because of persecution, Paul gives two positive reasons to remain faithful, and he gives two negative reasons from, against being faithless. Verse 11, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So if we have died with him, using Romans 6 language of being united with Christ in his death, uh, we are dying to sin in the old self. If we have died to sin in the old self, we will also live with Him. If we are putting sin to death, if God is at work in us, if the power of God is with us and we continue to die to sin, then we will also live with Him. And then verses 12 and 13. And and I want to be clear here because I, I think these verses can sound like a contradiction to evangelical ears. If we endure with him, then we will also reign with him. If we deny him, then he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If, if, I think that we can naturally read these verses that if we are faithful, he'll still save us. Because that's just in the water. But that is not what Paul is saying here. I mean, read Jesus' last words in Revelation. Read Hebrews. It's everywhere in Scripture. Paul has said that the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and sinners, the unholy and profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers, murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, Christ-deniers... And what are, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, they will in, not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So, this is why we need the strength that is in Christ Jesus. That's why we need to think about these things. And these, these words, again, they almost exactly echo Jesus' very last words. The one who is gentle and lowly. If, he, if we deny him he will deny us. If we are faithless, he will be true to his character and glorify himself in judging sinners, for he cannot deny himself. Today, as disciples in Wheaton, we are not imprisoned like Paul. We have not been abandoned in the same way that he has. I'm not likely to face physical threat and and death this week for my faith. But I do think that the shame that Paul and Timothy experience is here. I, I just want, we need to acknowledge that, that that shame is here. They were called haters of humanity. And now in our culture, if you hold to the biblical gospel... You are already a hater of humanity. The pressure that many of you already feel at work or maybe in the neighborhood, the ridicule and shame, uh, the threat of loss is already here, the threat of being ashamed of Jesus, of being ashamed of this gospel, this gospel, not the super apostles gospel that's watered down, this gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This threat of shame is already here and every one of us feels it. And so I think it's well worth being reminded, this is a discipleship passage, it's well worth being reminded that God gave us not a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power and love and self-control. We need ourselves to be disciples, and we need to be disciples who make disciples, especially as we have as we are older and um, walking with the Lord longer. We need to be making disciples, and we need to know that we will suffer as we do this. And your pastors, your pastors will suffer. So pray for them. And we need to not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. We need to be serious. That is what the, the soldier, that is what the athlete, the front, they are serious, they are focused they are single-minded. We need to be single-minded people and not just put Jesus off as just a convenient part of our life. It, it's not time for that. It never was. But this passage, we need to be serious. It reminds us. We need to think about these things. And finally, we need to remember the Lord Jesus and that He suffered. Again, as Ben said, He is risen from the dead. He is he conquered. He is victorious. He will conquer his enemies and our enemies. And we need to be strengthened by his grace. Amen. Let's pray for this grace and strength as we close. Father, many of us have started well O oh Lord, that we would finish well. May we not be like those who hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. Yet we have no root, and though we endure for a while, when trials, when persecution and tribulation come on account of the word, we immediately fall away. Lord, I pray especially... Um, For those of us who hate the work of the Nicolaitans, who hate sexual immorality, who hate false teachers, but are in danger of being overcome by evil. Father, I pray for those of us in that situation, Lord, that because of the increase of wickedness, um, we are tempted for our love to grow cold. Father, please fan the flame of what you have started. And I pray that for all of us. Help us to fan the flame. May we repent of any apathy that we have and do the things we did at first. Father, help us to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we bear fruit. Father, give us fruit. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, sixty. And another, thirty. And Father, we pray this for your glory. And for the joy of your people, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.